What's up, everybody? This is Chris Lynham, and we are going to be taking a podcasting journey off the floor. We are going to look at the backstory, the motivation, and the learning lessons from some of the most interesting people in the world. Let's go. Welcome to Off the Floor. We today are talking to a memory champion. His name is Nelson Dellis, and uh, he's kind enough to join us on Off the Floor. Nelson, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Excited yeah, to be here. Absolutely. And I should tell you, technically, I should end this interview right now because I just looked in your Wikipedia and it says that you're six foot six, and I really prefer not to interview people that are taller than me. How tall are you? I'm 6'4". Ah, uh, yeah. I know how it feels. I'd feel intimidated if I was interviewing someone who was like 6'7 or 8". <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. So I got to find out first. I mean, I love that when I was looking at your profile that it's listing memory as a sport. And, you know, being in an industry in ballroom dancing, that's kind of, it's definitely a sport, but it doesn't really get the recognition. What's it like to be in a sport that's sort of like not normally recognized as one? Yeah, I mean, you're constantly trying to explain why it is a sport. And in some ways, maybe you could argue it isn't, but I feel that, that the way I treat it so competitively and I train hard, you know, actually sometimes when I'm memorizing, I'm sweating because of the stakes are so high, my heart rate's up. You know, there's a lot of these, these sport-like components. So it's more interesting to kind of share the idea of what memory competitions are but I, I definitely consider me and the other people who compete in these things memory athletes. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone talks about how your brain is a muscle and you have to challenge it to get, you know, to make it stronger. And so I could see that, you know, taking this and then having that transposed to it being really recognized as a sport is really similar. Tell me just really quick, like the logistics though, like how does it give me like an idea or give our listeners an idea of what a memory competition is like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, most people are like, oh, is that just you guys you know, flipping over cards and seeing if they match, like playing the game of memory. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a lot more interesting than that. And there's different formats of it, depending on whether it's the world championships or a national championships. But essentially, it's a group of people come together and they have to memorize different categories of stuff, random information so that nobody has an edge anywhere. And it's timed uh, for accuracy, right? So an example is you memorize a deck of cards as quickly as possible. And then you have to reconstruct that deck from memory wow. uh, correctly. You get a, a page filled with random digits and you got you know five minutes to memorize as many of them as you can in order. We do names and faces, poetry, random blobs that we have to remember the, the order of, historic dates, the list goes on. Wow. And so now, like, I mean, when you've mentioned names and faces and you know, you think about the thing, I am horrible when it comes to names and faces. I'm sure people tell you that all the time too. Like very common. Yeah. That's like one of those really practical bits of information that having a great memory for it would be so like helpful in social situations and in business and so many different applications. How would one get better at that? Like, are you just using, are you constantly using like specific mnemonic devices or like, what's your, what's your secret? Yeah, I mean, there's a few levels to that. Kind of a, a very basic thing that most listeners like yourself or people like yourself who, who just told me what you told me that, yeah, I have a bad memory for names. You just kind of accept that fact about yourself. That is so debilitating towards your memory for names. And it's a common thing. I mean, people just label themselves as that kind of person and that's who they'll be. So when you turn that around and you say like, okay, I'm going to maybe make an effort to, you know, go to this party or this interview and remember everybody's name that I meet, or at least like, let's say 10, you know, set a reasonable goal. Suddenly you start to see, okay, well maybe I'm okay at it. And then when you get better at it, you build this confidence. Suddenly you are good at memorizing names. Mm. Um, there's also taking it to the next level, there's actual strategies you can employ to actually make them stick better to help kind of drive that confidence. And that's kind of where we at these memory competitions hone um, those things to get better and faster and set records. It all boils down to visualization. So coming up with crazy vivid images in your mind to represent boring, mundane stuff that is a name or an address or a phone number, you know? Yeah. Oh man. I love, like, I could just take what you just said in this answer and we could turn it into like three shows because I think it's so good. So like the first thing, I mean, just 
when you said that, it immediately like put me right back to like what we do all the time is that we deal with people in my regular job with Arthur Murray Dance Studios is that we deal with people every day that say, I've got two left feet. And so you just nailed it when you said that like the first hurdle is just getting past like limiting beliefs. Yeah, they're so powerful. I mean, people say, what's the first quick thing I can do to remember names? And honestly, I, I could jump to the technique in a sense, but honestly, I usually say, seriously, the best one that you could do is just to go out there and do it and stop that crap with, I'm not good at names because that's you driving that, you know? Yeah. I mean, and then you end up looking for so much in the same way, like you look for confirming evidence to support that. Exactly. In a negative then, way. then it holds you less accountable, right? Because what's if I'm telling you that every one of your listeners can remember a room full of people's names, suddenly if they accept that, they could have this anxiety that, oh man, I've always got to memorize things. So it's sometimes almost easier to just be like, yeah, I can't do it. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. And then I love that idea of attaching some type of visualization to something that could take something that's sort of mundane. Why don't you just kind of paint a picture of that? Do you have like a go-to thing? Like I'm always imagining this or, you know, is there some sort of like yeah. analogy that you're using to connect all of these bits of information into something more interesting for your brain to latch onto? Yeah. I'll walk you through kind of like my five-step process when I'm meeting someone. Cool. Um, so step one is basically what I said is, is get yourself primed into this idea that I'm going to learn this person's name. Like imagine in slow-mo, you're about to you're face to face with someone out stretching your hand to shake theirs and exchange names, right? Okay. So in your mind, what you're telling yourself is, this is my focus. I'm going to learn this person's name. Nothing else matters right now, right? And again, that self-fulfilling kind of prophecy that, yes, I'm going to learn this person's name. That gets you set into this mindset. And then, then you're ready to exchange names. You ask the person for their name and they'll ask you for theirs. And what you do with that name is you try to come up with a picture, right? So there's a few strategies to do this. One very easy one is just to think of what it reminds you of. So if it's a person who has a name that you know another person with that name, whether it's real or fictional, go with that person, right? So if you're meeting Nelson for the first time and all you can think of is, oh, that's like Nelson Mandela or Nelson from The Simpsons, right? Right. Or even um, Admiral Nelson, if you're a history buff. So those are pictures of things or people that you can instantly conjure up. Obviously, I have nothing to do. I don't look like someone from The Simpsons. I don't look like <laughs> Nelson Mandela, and I'm not a, a dead uh, admiral. But it doesn't matter. It's the name. That's what we care about is a picture for the name, right? Right. Um, so that's step two. Then step three is to take that picture and attach it to some kind of visual cue or anchor about me. Typically, I aim for the face because I'm looking at their face. And so this can be something you just notice by looking at this person, uh, a beard, curly hair, beautiful eyes, a mole, freckle, something that you just note. Um, so step four would be to attach that picture to the actual feature on the person's face. And you can do that a number of ways. One would be to literally imagine it on that thing, um, interacting with it somehow. Or you could give it kind of a reason why the two would be related or intertwined or something like that. And then the fifth step is to maybe use the name recently, like since learning it in a sentence or to introduce that person to someone else, just so you have this extra review. Right. So it's focus, picture for the name, find the feature, attach the image to the feature, and then review. Well, and I think too, like I love that fifth step because I can see where I slipped up early on as a teacher and I would I would latch on to like interesting features about people or like conversational points. I always think about this one couple I taught and she was from the UK and I just really obsessed over her her accent and I was like, well what would it sound like if you were from Liverpool? You know, and I was asking her all these questions, but then I found that I was calling her husband dude and I was calling her ma'am, but I totally stopped using their first names. Yeah. And then it was like a blank. And then you kind of feel that sort of, you know, that social like ineptitude and you just kind of like I guess you just retreat right yeah and it's been too long since you should have probably asked for the name again and now you just don't ask at all yeah uh, that's another thing is like at the start when meeting someone don't feel too bad about having to ask for the name a few times what's worse is what you're talking about is you know you work with this person a few more sessions and you still don't know their name and now it's too <laughs> far gone right you can't ask because then it's super embarrassing so get it over with at the beginning you know yeah. Ask three, four times if you have to over the course of the next few minutes. But yeah. Man, that's crazy. And so now like 
you put all this together and now I'm sure that this has served you some like, you know, has a really great like, you know, application in just your social life. Like where have you seen like this has like paid off for you the most? Yeah, I mean, I use it a lot when uh, networking um, and with clients and potential clients, especially, you know, a lot of my work comes from people seeing me at other events. So when I'm at an event, one of the show kind of timey things I do is I, I schmooze and I learn everybody's names. And then I start off by rattling off those names before I speak. And um, I try to keep as many of those names as I can, because more than not, someone from that crowd ends up hiring me for something else. And then if I can, you know, speak to them when they reach out and be like, oh yeah, hey, Bob, you, I remember the conversation we had. It does wonders, right? It just drives the point home and people love to hear their own name. It's such a, a powerful kind of business tactic. Oh my gosh. I was in a conference with, it was like a small group conference and Gary Vaynerchuk was talking uh-huh. and I didn't realize that my lanyard was like hanging down and he could see it. But when I asked a question and he referred to me, he's like, yeah, Chris, well, let me tell you about that. And it just shocked me. And I was like, yeah. this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. It just amplifies whatever that was, what's happening between you two. You know, yeah. So now do you find that now, this is not going into like long-term storage. So are you taking, is there kind of like a data dump that you're taking? <laughs> Maybe that's a horrible phrase. <laughs> is there like a data refresh or you, you're not, I mean, you still like, maybe put things into a spreadsheet in terms of names and email addresses from a business standpoint, I'm assuming. But are you like, how long are you retaining some of these little bits of information? Right. So names are interesting because, you know, you meet people all the time. It's hard to know who you'll run into again, who might potentially be a really important client versus not. So who do you keep forever? And who do you dump, as you mentioned. Um, it's hard to say. So this technique in itself is actually pretty strong. So I rely a lot on just that. But what a lot of people don't know, and I do this, I'm not ashamed to say it, is I get business cards from people when I can. And what I do is I keep those and I review them. And I actually write notes on them when I leave the event that I met them at. And I'll put extra like information that helps me remember things I noticed. You know, we talked about climbing mountains or they had two kids and one went to Yale. I remember that conversation, you know, or he was wearing this goofy looking tie or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, And I have this big box of of business cards that I'm not doing it every day, but every once in a while I'll go through it and just be like, Oh yeah, I remember Steve Jones from this and that. And then, you know, I I go through about a hundred of them and you know, most of the time I don't really run into those people, but I have, you know, because of that review run into people and they're shocked to know that I remember their name. That's so cool. And just like a side note, is there something about it that do you find that you connect to it the business cards, like, cause it's more tactile and you can kind of flip through it almost like playing cards or something. Is there something to that? Or is it, you know, like, you know, versus being in like digital and you just kind of load it onto like an Excel spreadsheet or something like that? No, there's definitely something extra about like an actual piece of paper because they gave it to me. It's maybe slightly crumpled cause it was in my back pocket. You know, maybe it, it fell in a puddle, you know, and I picked it out and it's slightly discolored. That was because it was a really stormy day. You know, like all those little things can add up to help kind of tactilely, you know, help you remember more context around the meeting. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I find that like if I'm listening to an audiobook, for example, for some weird reason, I can associate where I was listening to a spot based on where I was on the road. Do you find yes. that you stuff like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've recently, like, I love to read books, but my problem is, is like, I just stack up books and books and I'm going to get to them, but I never do because I, I don't have as much time as I want to. So this year I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to get over that and start just listening to audiobooks when I drive. That way I can get through more books that I want to read. And I find that that happens a lot. It's like, oh, I was... When I was listening to it, it kind of attaches to where I was or something that was going on that week when I was listening to it in the car, you know, and it kind of enhances almost the experience. That's so cool. So like in a big picture, like I think that sometimes people can take a negative experience and then they can kind of do the same thing. Like they can take and tell you all the vivid details about like when they lost their job and all of the the context surrounding that and sort of do like the negative version of this process that you're talking about, you know, what do you think people could do to maybe be, have that same sort of recall with more like positive things in their life? Yeah. I mean, it's all kind of, we pull on those kinds of naturally occurring natural memory instances. You know, we remember things that are emotionally charged, whether they're good or bad. 
tragic, very happy. So when I'm trying to come up with these pictures of things and making them as colorful as possible, I try to inject as much emotion as possible. And sometimes it's not a pleasant emotion, but I know that it's going to be something that I remember. You know, for example, my grandmother who had Alzheimer's and kind of led me onto this this journey of uh, brain exploration, she's part of some of my images for numbers and cards uh, for memorizing those. And when she pops up, it's kind of sad for me to experience that. But I know that that is going to be even extra sticky when I come back to recall it. So I just kind of like let it happen, you know? Yeah, I know. I was reading that and um, I don't know if you knew we, the same thing happened. I lost my aunt to Alzheimer's and um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, um, but what ended up happening was we, in a totally bizarre sequence of events, one of our students is on the board for the Alzheimer's Association. And so she just randomly asked my wife if we'd ever want to do some sort of collaboration with them. And it was like literally like weeks after my aunt had passed. And so, yeah, we are now, uh, we arranged for Arthur Murray International to become a global sponsor with the Alzheimer's Association. So wow, that's great. Yeah. So we're fighting the same fight, dude. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And action and like movements, um, especially through dancing, I'm sure, because there's music involved is such must be such a, a good therapy, I think, for people who are losing their memories. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so they have there were some tests that were done and they did research and it's not I don't know if it's completely substantiated yet or it hasn't been verified by their group, but by a hospital, I think in New York, they found that uh, ballroom dancing of all of the different activities, even like crossword and Sudoku and stuff, but ballroom dancing yeah. specifically was the best thing to ward mm-hmm. off any of the early signs of Alzheimer's. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, look at some dance steps sometimes and it looks, you have to really wrap your head around it, you know, sometimes because you're getting the steps, the count to the music, you have a partner. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. And on top of that too, it's like spatial awareness. Like, and I didn't even think about this, but that, you know, ballroom dancers are constantly kind of like driving on a road and you have to constantly be aware of the people around you. So you're, you're kind of doing a lot of math and creativity with music all simultaneously. So I think it's cool. Like what you're doing, it's like we do the same sort of thing where we sort of stack layers of data on top of each other to kind of help retrace our steps. So very cool. Um, So now talk about that, like that entry into you know, this sport, like, so you're prompted by your grandmother and then do you immediately like seek out a coach? Like what was the early stages? Yeah. I mean, kind of around her last few months, I had gotten really into the brain and was reading tons of books. And that led me to read about some special cases of people who had phenomenal memories or were incredibly gifted with some kind of savant capabilities, calculating the calendar date of a day of the year or doing mental calculations, things like that. And um, a lot of them, those people who can do that stuff, I found out that it was all trained in techniques. Not everybody, but many of them. And that fascinated me because I had always thought, you know, you either have it or you don't. And that led me to kind of read some books about memory techniques. And soon after I found this USA Memory Championship, and that kind of opened up everything because I was like, wait, everybody who's winning these things is saying the same thing, that they had a bad memory and they trained their memory and now they're able to memorize the deck of cards in a minute and a half. That's crazy. So then it just took off from there because I wanted to do the same. And it's so funny, like if you think about how many people are like, I've had this flabby gut for my whole life and I wasn't born with a six pack and I wonder why I don't have one. And then you discover <laughs> sit-ups and a gym and suddenly everything is different. Like, so do you think more people like, maybe not to your caliber, but people could literally become within their circle of friends, they could become a memory expert or the closest thing to it if they just kind of followed some of these principles, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is stuff that anyone can pick up. I mean, it's not like I'm asking you to dunk a basketball, right? And you (laughs) may not have the vert to do it. We all have the capability to have a good memory. It's just nobody's ever really shown you how to use it properly, right? It's just a matter of reframing what it means to memorize something so that your brain actually keeps it. And once you figure that out, you know, you can do what you want with it, train it hard every day and get even faster or just enjoy the benefits of it from just being open, uh, introduced to it. That's awesome. And for the record, I'm not sure which one of my friends told you that I missed a dunk in our homecoming game, but I did make up for it in college. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, us tall guys, it's sometimes unfair because we're expected to dunk and it's actually... I've had a hard time doing it my whole life too. 
Oh my gosh. So I went to three different high schools in my junior year. I came in and everybody saw me playing on the park and they were like, he's the chosen one. He's going to be the person that dunks. And no one had dunked in our high school in like five years or something. Oh man. And, and so it was homecoming game and I had like a breakaway and I got hung on the rim and, and, I and our home crowd all started laughing. And uh, <laughs> it was like one of those things where I feel like if I had made that dunk, I would like run Amazon right now. I mean, it was like one of those things where. Yeah, it was either you were going to be the most amazing kid ever legendary or you were going to get laughed at. Yeah. Um, and it was the most character building thing. I mean, everybody after that was like, oh, my back. And, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> I ended up dunking in a pep rally after that and everyone freaked out. And then uh, and then I finally, <laughs> in one random junior college basketball game with like four people in the stands, I got a dunk and I screamed like I just won the championship. It was, it was <laughs> cathartic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. So did you play basketball in school? Yeah, I played in high school and then I don't know. I was I was always forced to play it because I was so tall, but I enjoyed it. I just wasn't very good. I got decent actually in, in college, but I was only playing pickup at that point. So got it. Let's shift over really quick because you're, I guess, recently married, right? So you know, just a couple of years, right? So how did you meet your wife? So I moved to New York. I live in Miami. I've grown up here most of my life, but I moved to New York in 2015 uh, just to get it out of my system. I've always wanted to live there for like a year of my life or something. Yeah. And um, it was the right time. So I moved up there and met her within weeks on a dating app. And that was that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So now like, did you like intentionally try not to impress her with the memory stuff? Like, did you like, you know, like hold back? I always feel like sometimes when you have this like superpower, you want the girl to love you for you as Clark Kent and not have to show her that you're Superman. So was it kind of like that? A little bit. I mean, I did want her to kind of discover that side of me because it's kind of a braggy thing if I want it to be. But I remember I didn't bring it up in the first date that we had, but I did when we said goodbye to each other, we were talking about Googling each other and I was like, promise not to Google me. Um, there's some embarrassing stuff there, but it was kind of like a reverse psychology thing, you know? Yes. Of course she did. And she's like, what the, why didn't you tell me about any of this? <laughs> I thought you were going to go back and like recant like four really random things that she said to you on the date. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, that is a gangster pickup line, by the way. Like at the very end to say, promise not to Google me, knowing that you have like such an impressive resume. I love that. <laughs> oh man. That's funny. The memory thing has come in handy for a buddy of mine when I actually moved to New York. He's kind of a really good looking Brazilian dude and he um, is a ladies man. So he's always asking for girls' numbers and stuff. He would always use me to get somebody else's number. So He'd be like, oh, this is my friend Nelson. He memorizes his numbers. Give him your phone number. He'll remember it for me. Oh, I it love would work. it. It would work. They'd give it right over. And then, you know, I'd give it to him the next morning. He didn't have to try to remember it. And it oh, was a cool little trick. That is so cool. So my buddies, when I started working as a ballroom dance instructor, they would tell me before we'd walk into a club, they would say, promise that you don't lead with the trump card tonight. And the trump card was me saying that I was a, a dance teacher. And so I was like, okay, I'll just use it. You know, when you need my help, just let me know. And then I'll come in and I'll save the day. And so it was like that every single time they talked to some girls. And then just when they were about to get like blown off, they'd say, you know what my friend does? And I'd come in and then, you know, <laughs> lay it down. <laughs> well, you got to be careful with that. I feel like you coming in and saying I'm a dancer, they're going to want to dance with you. And then now yeah. it's all about you, not the friend. Yeah, exactly. And that was the nice little caveat that worked in my favor. But, uh, but <laughs> they were just trying their best to just kind of like stay in the conversation in any capacity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you just, had, you just had your first kid, right? So tell me about yeah. like, how did that like, was that something like, is that always been on the, on the to-do list? And how has that changed you? Yeah, I mean, we, I might have waited a little longer, but uh, you know, it was a welcome surprise at the end of 2017 when we found out so it wasn't necessarily planned for right then but it was coming up you know yeah but it's it's been great he's a little dude and he's hilarious and interested in everything and I love that I'm gonna be able to kind of teach him memory stuff as he grows and starts to read and stuff like that like I wish that was stuff that I had learned growing up kind of in school I feel like everybody should learn that first before they learn anything and so I'm curious to see how that'll help him through his uh, education. That's so cool. I will tell you, like, 
so my, my oldest just turned 10 and I have this book. And one thing that I started doing early on is I would write like little notes and like dates inside the cover of a book whenever wow. we'd read it. So I, and I would kind of do what you're talking about is like, I would add some context to like, this just happened today for the first time or some little note. And like, I'm really glad we're reading this book together. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. And then, um, I actually found a book and it was literally like when my son was one day old, I was reading him this cat in the hat book. And, yeah. um, but we've been like tearing through books ever since, but like it really does make a difference when you start super early. And now his, uh, his reading and comprehension is, uh, they tested him. They're like, well, he's a hundred points higher than he, he's supposed to be. And so wow. we're going to retest him. And then they test him again. And it was like, it was like 50 points higher after that on the second test. <laughs> wow. So I was like, yes, but I mean, it, like, I would say like, for sure, like having your skill set from a memory standpoint is going to be so cool with kids. I mean, that is like, you just hit it on the head when you said like, if they taught that to people in school, you know, like if you think about the practical yeah. things that people need every day, you know, how critical is like a great memory? Oh my gosh. Right. And in school, I mean, they tell you to go home, memorize this, right? When you're really young, like whether it's a, a simple poem or a list of things, whatever, the alphabet even, right? Yep. And it's like, wait, you didn't show me how to use my memory. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's strategies to use it and they're not hard. It's like stuff that kids would love to do. So Yes. And like, you know, if you think about the alphabet too, I mean, think about how tricky that would be to memorize if you didn't have a song that was attached to it as a kid, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. 26 and, weird symbols. That, <laughs> right. yeah, you know? yeah. I know. It's funny because so many times, especially from a, just a teaching and like an academic standpoint, there's so many of those situations where people know what they're supposed to do, but they don't know how they're supposed to get there. Like it's like cannonball run. And it's like, you just got to get to the finish line, however you get there. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was noticing that you've done some crazy adventure type stuff too. So talk to me about yeah. the Mount Everest thing. That's like, first off, how cool was that? And like, second, was that something that you felt like was kind of precipitated after all of this training that you've done mentally to kind of get over the hurdle? So it, the mountaineering part of my life kind of started almost in tandem with the memory stuff. And who knows, maybe it was at a time where I was really just trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. So I was trying a bunch of different things, seeing what stuck. And those two things stuck pretty strongly. The thing I love about climbing, and it kind of relates to the memory stuff, is it's like you're pushing the limit of your body. And um, the way you train for it is similar in a sense, because it's really, sure, it's a physical thing. You're climbing up something with your legs and you're carrying stuff, you know, but a lot of it is mental. It's how far can you distract your mind while you climb through the pain for many hours, you know, in the cold with no oxygen, right? <laughs> um, or li very little oxygen. So I really like that part of it, the part where you're kind of in your head. And um, yeah, it started off small. I was just climbing some smaller peaks and then, you know, I set my sight on Everest and, you know, back then I can't believe that I even thought that I would ever get a chance to climb Everest. And at this point, I've been up there three times. But it's crazy. You know, you think about it, like with any big goal, it's like I started small, small steps. And, you know, you can get to it if you really put in the time and you make it your purpose, you know? Yeah. I guess nowadays you'll have to do your climbing with like a baby Bjorn on or something. Yeah, yeah. I have a pretty sick backpack for uh, my son. Um, <laughs> when he's a little older, we can start to use it to go on some hikes. That's cool. Well, I think so much too with like the physical aspect of just like even just running on a treadmill or just like jogging around your block is that because people don't have something for their mind to focus on, you just start just focusing on the work and then it feels like drudgery. So you probably have a huge advantage because you could just be like, I'm going to recite the 1976 Yellow Pages or something. Yeah. I mean, when I was, um, it reminds me when I was climbing Mount McKinley, this is about nine years ago. I had just memorized all the countries in the world by continents. Wow. So I remember that was the only thing I would like recite in my mind when I was climbing and, and really bored with the surroundings. And it was the best thing because it just took me away, you know? I had this, this is so dumb, but like in ninth grade PE, we used to have to run like two miles every, like twice a week. And they had just shown like this 25 year anniversary or something of Saturday Night Live. And so I, I taped it and I was watching it all the time. And so the only song that was stuck in my head whenever I would run was Bill Murray's, do, Bill Murray doing the, uh, he was doing like a lounge singer version of Star Wars. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, awesome. that, 
And so anytime I hear that song, I make this immediate association to a timed to running. Run. Yeah. That's funny. Wow. So like what's something that now that's really random? Like, is there anything that you feel like, God, I need to get that out of my mind? Like I have this capacity for learning things and memorizing them. Like, is there a way that you can hit like a hard delete on something or is there something that's constantly stuck in your head that you don't want it to be there? You know, when I started this stuff, yes, it was tough to get a lot of these weird images out of my head. But what's funny is as a memory athlete, you're training every day with random and useless information, stuff that you really don't want to keep longer than you have to because it's just random. Um, it's not like I'm learning trivia or interesting stuff that I could, you know, use for my knowledge. You know, when I shuffle a deck of cards, it's one order and then I recite it after memorizing it and then I shuffle it again and it's gone, you know? Mm. Um, so I actually have to get pretty good at forgetting stuff and kind of decluttering my mind with what I just memorized so I can move on to the next one. So it's interesting because I play this fine line of, you know, well, can you memorize or remember stuff for longer then? Or is it always being forgotten? And the way the techniques that, that I use work is I can decide actively if I want to keep it for longer or if I want to get rid of it. And that's just something that's come through training. But uh, more than not, I try to forget it quickly so I can move on. So I actually don't get a lot of that stuff sticking in my head and not getting out of there anymore. Yeah. I really like what you said, decluttering my mind over the phrase memory dump, which I used. I think that's probably a little more <laughs> apropos. Yeah. <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so now, I mean, just crazy though. Has there been like, so you're telling me that like, if you like, let's say everybody is so sick of hearing like, I don't know, Poker Face by Lady Gaga and you just can't get it out of your head, but you can, like you could hear that song and be like, hard delete, boom, it's gone. Okay, so if we're talking about stuff that's kind of not in my control, stuff that I'm choosing to memorize, I don't really have a way to do that. I have ideas, but the problem is, is when you think about something more and making connections to it, so you're fortifying the the links in your brain to remember it. So if I'm actively sitting there trying to forget, you know, poker face, <laughs> just that act is making it more memorable, you know? Yes. Uh, it reminds me, I had um, ex-girlfriend and we broke up really bad and it was like, we would always end up texting each other and it never ended, you know, mm. uh, even though it was over. And it's just like, you delete her number, but I knew her number by heart. So my goal was, was to try to misremember her number, right? So what I kept doing was imagining the image for the number, but incorrectly and associating it. I would think about it a lot, the wrong association. And then after a while, I actually got confused, which was the correct one. And then after a while further that, I forgot the old one entirely. And all I did was remember the wrong one. So I, <laughs> just by that, I forgot her number, which was great because then we never talked again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the mentally equivalent of like throwing your keys in the lake when you're going to go out and go drinking or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it did take, you know, it was a lot of effort over time to make that memory dump. Oh but my gosh. That's I so crazy. I know most of the numbers except like three and I, I couldn't tell you what they were. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading somewhere about like when songs get stuck in your head and someone was saying on like a forum, they said that you need to now imagine yourself listening to the song and then listening to it until it's completed and it ends. And that kind of can end the song. So it's not the chorus isn't running through your head. Interesting. Wow. I, I got to try that because yeah, we all get those earworms or whatever they're called. And they're just impossible to shake. So don't think about that. Yeah. You just, you, when you said earworm made me immediately think about the wrath of Khan. <laughs> Wait, why, why? <laughs> like when they put those ears, when Ricardo Maltaban was Khan, you know, and he put this little worm thing inside these guys from Star Trek, they put him in the ear and he could control their mind with this little worm. Uh, okay, thing. Okay. So I didn't catch that reference. Sorry. Hey, that's my weird memory trick right there is weird <laughs> associations. <laughs> so now like what's next for you from like a memory, like competition standpoint, like what yeah. do you feel like is like next on the mantle that you're really gunning for? Right. So I've won it four times. I've set a few records over the years. I'm kind of over it in a way because I've moved on to other projects in that space. I love competing though. But the thing is, is like as I age, I have less time to kind of get better. And there's always new people coming into the sport that get better faster than I ever did. You know, it's crazy. It's like back in the day to memorize a deck of cards, the best you were going to get was 30 seconds. And it took a lot of work for me to get there. And now the record is down to like 20 seconds and newcomers 
aim for that so they get to 20 seconds, like almost faster than I got to 30 seconds. So and now for me, I'm stuck in my ways. I've been doing this for 10 years now. To go from 30 to 20, it's like a whole mind shift for me that is really hard to do. So it's tough competing against the newcomers. But I would like to win maybe one more U.S. championship because that would make me the winningest of U.S. competitors. Oh, that's um, awesome. Which would be cool to kind of hang up my cleats over. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like they talked about, like just the psychological impact of when the four minute mile was broken and then how many people after that ran a sub four minute mile because it had finally been eclipsed. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you think about when I started and the top guys were getting 30 seconds. To me, that was like the unachievable goal. And then when I finally realized it and got to it, I was like, done, right? Mm. And now people are going for their own version of the 30 second thing and it's way past what I can do so yeah I know one of my uh, dance coaches you know he and his wife were like the you know the winningest United States you know rhythm competitors and and he said but after his you know I was asking him I was like what was it like and he said every time that he would go out running he would always imagine his voice being called as the new United States champion and they would announce his name and that was like this thing that he was always striving for and then he said and then when we when it actually happened he said the following week and like that following year, it was like, it was just not there anymore. It was like empty. He said it was just like really depressing to kind of get back up and to train for the next one. So, I mean, the fact that you've done as many as, as you've done says that you've been able to like pick yourself back up and set new targets. Yeah, it's tough. There's always like a, when you train intensely for something and you get there and you do what you set out to do, there's always like this hardcore lull and depression afterwards and just like don't know what to do with yourself yeah yeah it's like this big diminuendo or something so like do you have a coach that you work with and then the second thing is what do you do to get yourself back on track like when you are feeling that little lull because we have a lot of listeners that are actively trying to better themselves in whether it's in, in ballroom dancing or if it's just in their career so you know do you have a coach and then what do you do to like pick yourself back yeah. up and kind of get back engaged so no coach. I wonder if, if I had started this stuff later, if I would have you know, gotten in touch with a coach. But at the time, there were none. So I just had to figure it out on my own. At this point, I know my... It's not like there's people out there who have been doing this for years who know better than I do. I feel like I know just as much as the top people. So it's not like I need to have someone coach me. Um, sure. But in terms of getting myself back up, man, it's been different kind of I've had to play with different things over the years you know some years it was clear you know like I won the first time and then I was like you know I had always planned I wanted to be a two-time champ or there was like a record that I didn't quite get that I really wanted to get those were the easier years right I just continue but after three times it was really tough to kind of get back for the fourth one and that was in 2015 my last win so it's been four years where I've kind of decided to compete or not or done mediocre um not one and it's been tougher to get um back on the horse but i don't know i find a lot of i try to find small little things that dig back into my passion because that's the thing that disappears is like we talked about it's i've trained so hard i get my goal and then that it's like coming down from the mountain right you already got to the summit what you just got to get back down there's no passion in that so i just try to find something that drives a little bit of the passion like why did I love this in the first place and I'm actually doing that right now because the competition is in a couple of months and you know it's hard to pick it back up but uh with the memorization I've really tried to pick things that kind of help me find the love for the sport again just small little things and once I find myself actually getting off my ass and training right even just mm -hmm. for 10 minutes a day you know I start with something small you get in the habit of you know going a week straight with doing it every day and then you're like on this this role where you just got to keep going and then maybe you do 15 minutes 20 minutes and before you know it if you skip a day it feels really shitty so you just try to keep doing it so it's starting small and starting with something that is manageable you know because it's like you kind of think i gotta spend hours a day to become the champion that i used to be right and but spending hours a day when you haven't done it in a while sounds impossible. So if you do just like just 10 minutes a day for a year is worth more than no hours in a year, right? So yeah, it's a combo of all that stuff. Yeah. 
I love that. It reminds me of, I, and this is where now I need to like apply what you're talking about because I forgot the name of the book. <laughs> the author was talking about Jerry Seinfeld had this calendar and he would make an, a red X through each day where he would write a joke. And then he said, eventually, like you create this chain and you don't want to have the day that breaks, puts a break in the chain. And I yeah, love that. They make, um, you know, calendars that are for that purpose where you just like put a little mark every day. And the goal is obviously you want to see that chart filled with X's and any gap in there is a disaster. You know, it feels like a disaster. There's this YouTuber, this girl who makes like really bad robots. That's kind of her channel. Um, <laughs> she just did a Kickstarter where it's like an electronic version of that thing that you hang up on the wall and it has all the days of the year and you press each one after you complete your goal or task for the day that you try to want to do for a whole year and it lights up. Right. Oh, and so you have cool. this visual reminder kind of in a cool swanky style on your wall that just reminds you of every day you've done so far attacking this small or large goal. And, and then all- you're getting an instant hit of uh, dopamine and endorphins. And I mean, that's so cool. Yeah. And then part of it's like, you just don't want to break the chain, like you said, you know? Yeah. So talk to me about the book. You know, I love the title of your book. Why don't you talk about it really quick? Yeah. So it's called Remember It, which I hope is memorable enough. You know, sometimes I've told people what the name of my book is and they're like, oh, let me write that down. I'm like, dude, (laughs) if you cannot remember that, then, uh, well, actually, they probably should have my book more than anyone else, but it's ironic. Um, Yeah, so it's a how-to book. It talks about practical tips to improve your memory for kind of everyday situations, memorizing names, you know, lists of things. I go into numbers, a lot of passwords, simple things like where you put your keys and parked your car, stuff like that. And I'm wondering if I gifted that book to my wife, if that would be maybe put me in some danger. I don't know if, if you gave that book to your wife, do you think that she would be upset with you or? Well, I'm off the hook because I wrote it. So I can be like, honey, this is a book I wrote. You should probably read what the person wrote. Um, but yeah, you got to be careful because it's, it could be implying something that they don't yeah. like if you give them that book. And on top of that, like, I was just thinking if you forgot your anniversary or something like that, like you're probably in a thousand times more trouble than like if I did. Right. Yeah. And and listen, I'll be the first to admit that I don't remember absolutely everything. Sometimes I'm like switched off, but that frustrates my wife to no end because she's like, how can you forget this simple little thing when you sit there and memorize thousands of digits perfectly? (laughs) Can't remember one thing. That is tough. That's like, <laughs> what was the movie? Now I'm really, I'm really mucking it up. There's the movie where, uh, what was it? Uh, Megamind, where Brad Pitt's character, he's the superhero that just wants like a day off. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Known death. Yeah, That's, that reminds me of that. Like you want to just like sit on the couch and like, you probably feel great. Does it feel great to forget something? Like you're like, I'm not working right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, nice. This is refreshing. I don't remember <laughs> what I was supposed to do right now. Yeah. <laughs> I usually feel like that, but it's the opposite. It's when I forget something, I, I'm like, God, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I want to ask you a few rapid fire questions and then we're going to wrap it all up. Okay, perfect. Right. Okay. So first one is what is your guilty pleasure? Uh, chocolate chip cookies. Oh, okay. And now is there a specific brand? Is it like describe? Yeah, uh, my wife's brand. Oh, man. <laughs> she makes a, a, a killer chocolate chip cookie with Nutella in it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I gotta be careful with those, but yeah. <laughs> All right. And then, and this may tie in, but based on your consumption alone, what product could you be a spokesperson for? Cool question. I don't know. Probably uh, LaCroix. I just love sparkling water. So nice cases of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did you switch off of like soda? Like, do you not drink it at all? And did you, was that just a replacement or you just always preferred sparkling? I grew up on sparkling water and we used to have one of those machines. You can make your own sparkling water, but I never liked the taste, but LaCroix is so cheap and it's in these small cans that are just easy to pop. And I got into them when I, because I do some experiments with kind of diets and stuff that are no sugar, low carbs to see how it affects my memory. And yeah, I like a soda from that time to time. So these carbonated cans of, of water kind of help replace that actually. Um, you know, the sparkle feel that I often enjoy with a soda, I can get it from just water. So Yeah. And what's crazy is how sugary soda tastes after you drink a lot of sparkling water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's insane. Yeah. Okay. Give me one time in your life where 
if you could go back and do it over again, but with really great dance moves, tell me about a time like that. Dude, my dream, one of my dreams is to be like an amazing shuffler, you know, like dancing. There's some craze going on. I follow so many Instagrammers that just shuffle, right? (laughs) Um, Or what do they call it? Um, Yeah, just shuffling. Um, But anyways, I don't know. Every time I'm at a wedding, I just envision myself just killing it on the dance floor with some killer, you know, dance steps. But that never happened. So every time I think of a wedding where I was dancing, I just wish I had been that epic dancer. Yeah. Well, as a guest of the show, you can drop my name at any Arthur Murray location. Are you still in Miami? Yeah, yeah. We have one just around the corner. That's where we learned um, our wedding dance, which wasn't very interesting. Are you serious? You held that out until the very end. That's perfect. (laughs) That's awesome. So you danced at your wedding. What did you guys dance? What song did you guys dance to? It was a slow version of uh, The Book of Love by, it wasn't the version by Peter Gabriel. It was a different version, but it was that song. And yeah, it was just a very simple box step kind of waltzy thing. And then we did a couple spins, dipped her at the end. That was that. (laughs) But I, I'm sure, like, did people go nuts when they saw you guys dancing? Not really. I mean, that's expected, right, in in a wedding. Yeah, you know what's weird is that it's become expected over probably the last 10 years. But Uh, really? Not it used to be? No, you know, for a long time, people spent exorbitant amounts of money on their wedding and would spend zero dollars on a wedding dance. But people would just stand and, like, sway back and forth like you would at, like, a high school dance or something. Oh, no. Yeah, to an entire Boys to Men song. And it was just torture. It's torture, yeah. So, uh, well, man, I'm so happy that you guys got a chance to do that. And no, literally, as a guest of the show, you are going to get some free dance lessons if you guys want to go and do it. So I'll I'll hook you up. Yeah, I would love that. We need to get back into that. Because actually, when I was in New York, and part of the dating kind of ritual we went through, part of it, we took some dance lessons in a studio in New York and learned some salsa and oh, it was fun. It was fun. We suck, but it was fun. <laughs> What's great is that as a tall white guy, when you are good at salsa and bachata, you can walk into a club and it's almost like everyone looks at you like, what are you doing here, punk? Like you're, sure. you're, one, you're one of the jets and they're the sharks or something like that. And, uh, and so, but it's great when you can like go out there and blend right in, but kind of stand out at the same time because you're tall. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, it's kind of, part of a, an anxiety thing. I, I know that everybody can see me on the dance floor and that's embarrassing. Yeah. I can't hide my dance moves, you know? So here's what my boss told me when I first started. She said, you know, what's really great is that, you know, about being tall. And I was like, what? And she said, well, because you're tall, people can see you dancing from really far away. And it's really, it's like a natural like advantage as a ballroom dancer. And I was like, whoa, that's really great. And she's like, you know, what's not so great about being tall. And I was like, what? And she goes, people can see you dancing from really far away and we need to fix your posture. <laughs> and so, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But uh, that was like the first thing, like I was, you know, I went from basketball to ballroom dancing. And one of the first things they told me was that it was like a natural advantage. So guys that are like our height, actually in ballroom, like competitive ballroom, it's like, those are all the guys in the ballroom category. They're like these unstoppable mountains out on the dance ballroom. floor. Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, because you, you take up more volume. And so it's like the shorter guys, they have to work twice as hard to try and like kind of catch up with tall guys like us. Wow. So yeah, it's almost like being 6'6 and being expected to play basketball in the ballroom world. Like people would expect you to be like a competitive ballroom I dancer. So, I didn't know that. Crazy. Yeah. Well, there's what you're going to do after you. You told me. Yeah. I was given the wrong sport growing up. <laughs> I know. I know. I always say like I chose basketball where being 6'4 really kind of is a washout. Like if I had played hockey yeah. or baseball or football, you know? Yeah, that's true. Such a bummer. So if you had to sum it all up, what's something that you feel like people like should learn from your story? Like what's the thing that this path that you've been on and, and what you've chosen to do, like what's something that you think that our audience could gain from and like what's your final thought? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that people just write off as like out of their realm of possibility. And memory is a great example because so many people think that it's just something you either have or you don't. And I'm a perfect example of uh, someone who had an average memory and has turned it around. And now I have one of the best memories in the world, which is insane to think of, you know, if I think of my past self and how forgetful he was. So yeah, I mean, it should be a good message that most things, if it's physically possible, you know, you just got to put some effort and love and passion into it and you can get it done. 
I've been reading a lot of books about this and, and some have put it really well in this way is that like if you, um, you know, a lot of people dream about being able to do something, but that's kind of where it ends. But then obviously there's people out there who have dreams and they go after it and then they succeed. So I think it's also important to really weed out the things that you really, really want versus things that would just be kind of cool to have. So if you think having a good memory is one of those things and you really think that, then you got to get after it, you know, otherwise, you know, move on to something else, put your effort into some other passion that you're really going to strive for. Cause if you have too many things that you want to be great at or, or focus on, you're not going to do any of them, you know? Yeah. Oh, that is so good. And I think that that idea of you just need to take, like you said, even if it's just 10 minutes, but taking some kind of action towards the thing that you want and then being really honest and clear about what that is, is really like that hurdle that so many people stumble with. Yeah. And I mean, you can even have this conversation with yourself about whatever it is you want to do. Say you want to work out, right? You haven't been going to the gym, you want to go, but you kind of give yourself a grade score of things that you could do at the gym. Is it let's say going to the gym every day, each week, right? What score would you give that a possibility doing? And maybe to yourself, that sounds unrealistic. So maybe you give that a four. Okay. So then maybe you say, what if I went every other day? Is that like a five or a six? Okay. It's better. Maybe finally you get to a point where it's just like, okay, I'm going to go twice a week, you know? And that sounds really good to you. That's a nine, right? Of possibility, right? So then do that, right? Just do that. And then once you start doing that for a while, then you can maybe up that up a little bit. It'll be easier to get to maybe three days a week, right? And so on. So it's the same kind of idea with 10 minutes is better than nothing, you know? Yeah, man. So good. Nelson, it has been so fun getting a chance to get to know you and to pick your brain. I feel that was not even a pun. (laughs) Very, very good. I appreciate (laughs) the the dad jokes and puns more these days. Oh my gosh. I know. Here's some more dad jokes and congrats on just all your success and, you know, with the book and, and also just, you know, with your family. And I think it's just, you know, really, it's really interesting. There's so many great parallels that you brought up that I think transpose to anything that people are interested in. But I think that what you just said, and I, I love that you're pursuing something that's also raising awareness towards something that everybody is affected by. And, you know, there's too many people that are that have context when it comes to the Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And I think it's really great what you're doing, you know, just to raise awareness about that. Just when we wrap up really fast, just tell us a little bit about like the foundation that you started and, you know, how people can maybe follow along with that. Yeah. So the charity's name is Climb for Memory. Uh, I climb and organize uh, mountain climbs or treks around the world to raise awareness and funds for Alzheimer's research. And um, we recently did a Everest Base Camp trek, which is not the whole mountain. It's just to the base camp, which is a beautiful trek. And we're going to be organizing more of these over the coming years, also climbs to Kilimanjaro. And you know, people can ask me for information about it and join and kind of do these bucket list items while doing it for a cause. So um, climbformemory.org is the website, or you can go to my personal website, nelsondellis.com and ask me anything you want. That's awesome. All right. Well, this has been Off the Floor with Nelson Dallas, memory champion. And do not think of memory as not a sport because you're putting in training and you're pushing yourself and every sport is mental. And why not make the sport around memory like just as sporty and mental as as any of the other ones i think it's just really incredible and <laughs> coming from somebody who has a hard to describe sport that he's participated in like i really my hat's off to you man thanks dude thanks for having me absolutely if you enjoyed this episode make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the show if you enjoyed nelson then make sure that you go to his website nelsondellis.com and you can also check him out on netflix on memory games Thanks again for listening to another episode of Off the Floor.